Okay, let me add my welcome to Ironworks Church to you all today. You, uh, you kind of know the story. There is a babe in a manger, and <clears throat> these three wise men or magi came, show up to acknowledge the child in the manger lying there. And uh, they came and brought their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they, one by one, proceeded to bring out their gifts. First, the guy with the gold came out, presented his gift, at which point the other two looked at each other, then looked at him and said, wait, gold? Didn't we agree on a price limit? (laughs) So I like that uh, joke. That's funny to me because it turns on the meaning of gift giving and what it means for us. And I, I got to tell you, I'm kind of Grinch-like. I'm kind of I'm grouch-like when it comes to all of this gift giving. I really feel like it's a distraction. I know that when I was a child, it was all about gift giving or really gift receiving, right? Kids, that's what it's about, right? What is Christmas? What's the meaning of Christmas? It's getting the gifts, right? Okay. okay, great, great to hear, great to hear. Well, for me it was. Then I started to grow up and it became more about making sure I got the right gift for people, all right? That was the important thing, to get the gift for people. And it just started to be so oppressive to me that it was like, ah, oh, this isn't the real meaning of Christmas, you know? I'm like Charlie Brown there, what's the real meaning? And I saw this one documentary, it was, it was a great documentary, it was called, What Would Jesus Buy? <laughs> it's great, it was all about this struggle with shopping, how it's an enormous amount of money that's spent at this time, it's just this marketing blitz and all of the money around religious uh, items and stuff that's spent about this. I, saw this. I also saw this meme, and it was a picture of a dollar bill, but instead of George Washington, it had the Grinch on there. And the caption was, how the greed stole Christmas, right? So, you know, a few, a few years ago, we had a party in our apartment, and uh, we invited all our friends, all our friends. So, so what, it wasn't actually a Christmas party. It was a holiday party because there were a lot of people of very different worldviews, different religions, some no religions. We had a lot of atheists uh, come in, our, all of our friends, and, and so we came into this ho- holiday party, and by the time we had put it on, we got there, I actually I stood up, I said to my guests, I said, I'm sorry, I have got to sing some Christmas carols. And I'm, I'm sorry if this offends you, I'm, I, I'm just, if I don't sing some Christmas carols, the, the materialism of this holiday is going to crush me. I've, I would just feel crushed by it. So I'm sorry, you know, we are going to sing Christmas carols. So we sang these Christmas carols. The funny, the, the funny thing was, is that everybody enjoyed it. And even the atheists um, there, they said, yeah, thank you. You know, we needed this too. They, they were feeling the same thing as I was. Uh, so they enjoyed uh, singing these, these Christmas carols. So all of this to say, friends, I have this difficult relationship with gift giving uh, around the holidays. So it's, it's something that, that I struggle with. It uh, re- really bothers me. What's the meaning of it? Is there anybody here at all like me or like me at some point? You could, it's dark. You could raise your hand. 
Thank you. So some of you, some of you are there. If you're like me, we have help tonight. I want to help you tonight. Actually, the scriptures are going to help you tonight because we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's about gift giving. And it turns on the meaning of gift giving. So we can bring our problems, we can bring our questions about the meaning of gift giving with us into the passage. So if you would stand with me, it's something that we do. I ask people to stand when we read the, from the Bible, just to distinguish between the Bible's words and mine. Let's see, I guess I'll use my phone. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. But you know, if you have a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to bring it out. We don't we didn't print the passage in our, in our uh, bulletin this evening, but I'm going to be referring back to it in different verses. So it would be good to have it in front of you. But again, this is Matthew chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the Great, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Okay, a number of issues in this fascinating passage. Uh, we can't actually address them all tonight, don't have time, but there will be one, I guess, that I will address and to kind of debunk, I'm sorry. But uh, we can tell reading this, can't we, that the Magi did not arrive night of. Now, I'm sorry to be uh, saying that. I know that it's a disappointment uh, to many of you that you, you saw such a beautiful play or movie in which the Magi was there with the shepherds. They all came together. I'm sorry it didn't happen that way. And I know this is 
might make you a little bit um, annoyed because uh, you just maybe attended a Christmas play with your child and your child was a sheep or a camel or something. Or, and uh, another one was a wise man and it was so nice and so beautiful. But we can tell from this passage it didn't happen that way. Um, I mean, at least um, even from verse 11, if you notice, look at verse 11, when the wise men get there, what do they do? They enter into the house. Well, couldn't have been night of because Mary and Joseph weren't in a house night of. That was the point. They were, there wasn't room for them, so they were in the place with the animals, where the animals were, laying the child in a fattening in, in this uh, feeding trough. So couldn't have been there night of. And you can also tell from verse 7 where Herod determines the exact time the star appeared. Not the exact location, he didn't know, but he knew the age. And later on in the passage that, that uh, Josh read for us, he goes on to slaughter all of the infants, all of the children who were two years old. Now, he knew the exact time, and so he chooses two years um, to, to kill all the, all the babies two years or younger. And friends, we know then that the Magi must have arrived later because it, it's not very far from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. You know, you think of these Bible places, these names, it's hard to, to picture. But actually, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem, about six miles south. And so it would not take Herod long to figure out that these guys were not coming back, that uh, they had uh, um, not followed his instructions and they were not going along with his plan. And then he would, he would swing into action. And so when he says two years... It must have been months after that the, that the Magi came and then left. Months, maybe years um, at that point. This also explains why, you see in verse 7 and verse 3, why Herod had to speak to the Magi secretly. You see that in verse 7? He had to talk to them secretly. And in verse 3, why the whole city was troubled when these magi show up. You know, the whole city of Jerusalem is, is upset by what's going on here. Well, why would that be when a foreign dignitaries or foreign people come to the city of Jerusalem? Why would that cause trouble unless what makes it make sense is to realize that there had been prophecies that we read about in another gospel from fixtures in the temple, public prophecies. One of them was by a, a guy named Simeon. Another, guy, another one came from a woman named Hannah. And these two prophesied over this child. So there was already this understanding, this stir, this excitement about this child who had shown up in the temple. Then it makes sense that when these, two, these magi show up saying, oh, where's the child? Where's... It's going to cause a stir. Not because the people... Didn't, uh, didn't want the Messiah to come, not because they didn't want Herod to be replaced, but because they knew the cruelty that was going to come um, if he really believed this was going on, that the Messiah was coming, a challenge to his throne. So this is why we put all these things together and say, no, it wasn't the night of. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, you know, so what, Sam? Why wreck the tradition? It was such a beautiful play. Um, why are you debunking? Why, why not just let us have our traditions about this? And, and, you know, why make a big point of this? Because, friends, turns out it's important for us to be accurate when we're talking about things in the Bible. 
Because if we're not accurate and we're not going and making sure we read it and see it ourselves, then we can start to believe things in the Bible that aren't in the Bible. I've had a number of conversations recently where people would say, well, yeah, I can't do this. I can't accept Christianity because of the Bible says this. And, and I'm like, have you ever read that in the Bible? And if, unless we're, we're actually being accurate, we start to, to believe things that maybe aren't in the Bible. We think that they are. So, you know, just a few years ago, Christopher Hitchens, a prominent atheist, he wrote a big book called God is Not Great. If you read that book, you find he rejects the Bible's version of, uh, of God, the Bible's um, account of, Christ, of the beginning of Christianity, because for just this very account, he says that the accounts in the Gospels, you know, there were different accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels in, in the New Testament. And he says they flatly contradict each other. Because you look at, if you compare Matthew chapter 2 to Luke chapter 2, you find that, you know, in, in Matthew, they're gone immediately after Jesus is born. In Luke, they hang around for a while. He says they can't reconcile these two together. Well, friends, the accounts only contradict each other if the Magi arrived night of. But if they didn't, then you, you start to see, oh, these are complementary. They are not contradictory. Matthew is not telling us how the holy couple got to Bethlehem. Luke doesn't tell us how they left. So what happens is, you know, you start to, unless you're accurate about these things, you start to see things uh, in the Bible that aren't there. So don't be annoyed with me, please, um, for, for bringing this up. They, they, they didn't get there on Christmas night, but they did get there. And when they did, they brought out their gifts. And this is what is a little bit... Um, uh, kind of hard to appreciate maybe about this because the one in front of them was, was you know, as Christians, we understand that what was happening there was God was becoming one of us, that the, that the great gift of Christmas is God himself. As Christians, we understand that what was happening there is that God was becoming one of us. That in that first Christmas, in that baby, God became incarnate. He became a man. He started out to walk through life the same way we did. So, so what's the real gift of Christmas? It's Christ. Christ himself is the great gift of Christmas. Right? And if that's the case... What on earth could you give this baby? <laughs> what on earth could you give the one who is God himself? It's like he doesn't need anything, right? What possible gift could you give him? It's, it's, you know, Christ, Jesus Christ is sort of like that person in your family who is so hard to shop for, right? And, you know, usually it's dad, right? You, you can figure out a gift for your brother, your sister, or mom, but... What, what do you give dad? Like, you know, what does he need? Right? It's really hard to give something for dad. And let me just tell you, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. He doesn't need another new tie. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. You know, we really don't need another tie. <laughs> just, just, just telling you, just putting that out there. Sorry if you've already bought it, but... <laughs> but uh, Jesus Christ is like dad. It's like, what do you get him? <laughs> what can you possibly give to this one, this creator of the universe, 
coming to us as one of us. What can you get them? So, you know, gold, um, giving gold here is uh, kind of strange. But what the, what the wise men are saying is that there really is no price limit here. There is one thing that can be given. I don't know about dad. Maybe there isn't something. But for Jesus Christ, there is one gift that is appropriate and will be received. There's one thing. And this, friends, is exactly what the Magi bring to him. That one thing that would be appropriate to give is worship. And that is exactly what they bring. They tell us in verse 2, they say, why did they come? Verse 2, to worship. Right? And when they bring out their gifts, in verse 11, what do they do? They fall on their face in worship. That's the one gift that's appropriate, that's possible to give to this child who has everything, who is everything. They worship it's a very important theme here in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, the different Gospel writers, they, they maybe use this word two or three times, but in Matthew, it's 13 times he uses it because it's a theme, it's important in his Gospel. And here's the first time where they come and they worship this one. Now, I know some of you might be here, you don't, you know, you don't do this whole Christian thing. Worship might be you know, not a word that's in your vocabulary. It's very simple. Worship just means to value something highly. That's all. Worship means to deeply value something. And that's what they're doing here. This passage that Josh also read us from Isaiah chapter 60. It gives us insight into these, these gifts that come forth of frankincense and myrrh. It's like, what, what are they doing giving that in Isaiah 50? Was it Christmas time? No, it wasn't Christmas time. It was it was characteristic as the kind of thing you would do if you were a subject nation. Giving, you would give this to the, to the guy in charge, to the nation in charge. So if you were a, a nation under subjection, these are the kinds of gifts you would bring to one um, who, to whom you were in subject to, to whom you were subject to. And that's what's going on here. They are expressing their subjection to this one. And so it is like, you know, it's worship in that regard as well. They're expressing that subjection. But, you know, it's not just worship, ascribing value to something deeply. There's a certain kind of worship going on here that makes it a Christmas worship. There's a certain, certain worship here that gets at the whole meaning of Christmas. And that is to ascribe value where there is no value acknowledged. To ascribe value to the seeming valueless. That's what's going on here. And it's especially going on with the wise men. After they come to the great city, to the golden city. You know, Jerusalem at that time was just brilliant. It was stunning. Herod the Great had finished this temple. He had capped the, the temple with gold he had built up the city with these, you know, this beautiful white stone that they would build with. So Jerusalem was dazzling. 
You, even from afar, miles away, you could look and you'd just be dazzled by this city. It was the great golden city. It was really, it was really something else. This is where you would expect a king to be. And that's why it's kind of shocking that they get to, they get to Jerusalem. It's like, where's the king? Where, where's, where's the new Christ? Where's the Messiah? And they're like, well, he's not here. He's actually in a small town south of here. You know, it'd be like showing up to New York City and saying, where's the king? New York City has got to be here in New York. And being told, well, you know, no, he's in Secaucus. Or he's in Jersey City. You know, not in New York City, he's in Jersey City, you know. Or, you know, he's not in Harrisburg, he's in, what, Mechanicsburg or, you know, I don't know, Shippensburg, you know. He's not in Harrisburg, you know, would be the impressive one. He's not in the Golden City. So, you know, there's this beautiful, see, I, I do recommend some of these accounts, like the, the, the movie, uh, it was a great movie, The Nativity Story. I highly recommend that. They did a great job, except, you know, the Magi do show up night of. But apart from that, it's a great, great movie. And they do, they portray the glory of, of uh, Jerusalem so well. So the wise men don't find the Messiah in Jerusalem. Instead, they go to Bethlehem. Now, here's the key point, is that at that moment, when there was nothing in the world saying this is valuable, they saw the value of it. They were able to recognize the value in the valueless. They didn't, you know, say, ah, oh, man, we've really been cheated. You know, I thought we were going to see something here. And uh, look, it's just this kid in these poor circumstances, this little baby, you know. They didn't sigh and say, all that trip, we went so far for this. No. Instead, they looked past the circumstances and they were, to say, they were able to say, there, there is no price limit here. There is no price limit for this little Jewish infant. And what, what the gift is in this, in this one. They were valuing the seeming valueless. And friends, that's Christmas. All the best Christmas carols, all the best Christmas stories, all the best Christmas traditions are about that. And to give that proper gift of worship you need to realize this Christmas value in a gift that doesn't shout out its value. Then you will be celebrating Christmas. It wasn't in the great golden city, but in this small town six miles south. You know, there's, uh, there was a minister who lived in the 1700s. His name was Henry Venn. I know something about his life. He was a very, he was a faithful minister. And right around one Christmas time, Reverend Venn said to his family, I'm going to show you tomorrow night, I'm going to show you the most interesting sight in the world. I'm going to show you the most interesting sight in the world. Of course, this really piqued his family's interest. And they were like, whoa, where is this going to be? Where is he going to take? Where you, you know, who's it going to be? What? All, all questions. They plastered him with questions. He wouldn't answer them. He said, just wait. You come with me tomorrow night. I will show you the most interesting sight in the world. And so night came. They got in their, you know, their carriage. It's 1700s, horse-drawn. And he, and he took them. They were very surprised. Took them to this town nearby. But, but this poor tire, part of town. 
And he pulled up against, in front of this, this miserable hovel of a place. They all got out there thinking, you know, how could this, what's interesting here? What's going to be the most interesting? And he explained to them what they were going to see, and then he took them inside this miserable hovel, this whole family. And what was inside was a young man, 19 years old. His name was Abraham Midwood. And he was dying. He's a young man, 19 years old. He had a fever that was, uh, wouldn't leave him and had developed these lesions all over his body. Really in bad shape. He was on his way. And that was clear. But what struck them is how cheerful Abraham Midwood was. Because he talked to them about how Jesus Christ cares for him. And they, you know, they kind of pressed them. They were like, Can't, you know, how do you bear this? How do you bear this and be so cheerful? And he, this is what he said to them. There is nothing to bear while the presence of God cheers the soul. There is nothing to bear while the presence of God cheers the soul. And they spent a long time visiting with him because just they felt happy being with them, but they didn't understand how he could be happy with them, how he could be happy himself. And he said to them, oh, yes. And they said, you really seem happy. He said, oh, yes. He said, I would not change my state for the richest person on earth who does not have what I have. And the children left there feeling much happier and when they came, because a great gift had been given to them. They had a father who saw the value in the valueless. And the reason I can tell you this story is because the Ben's children never forgot that evening. And one of them grew up to tell the tale. What was it that the Magi had looked past the circumstances, be able to see what was it that Abraham Midwood had and possessed. Well, the, the passage tells us here in verse 6, with this quotation of the prophecy, as, as, as uh, Josh read the prophecy from which uh, Matthew is quoting here, as Matthew is wont to do, Typically, he, uh, he makes these quotations of Old Testament prophets that seem esoteric and obscure, but they are not. He's quoting Micah 5 here. And Micah 5 describes the one who's coming. And he says, this one is going to be a son of David. He is going to be a ruler. He is going to give his people peace. He is going to give them security. That's what he's going to do. That is the gift. That was lying in the manger. He's going to give his people peace because he will be a ruler who will shepherd. He'll be a ruler who will shepherd. And that was the exact opposite of what they had. That was the exact opposite of King Herod. Exact opposite of what we see in our world over and over again. One who will bring peace. One who will be a king, oh, make no, make no mistake about it. He will have the authority and the power of a king, but he, he will shepherd 
The well-being of his people will be his preoccupation. And he is the only one who can bring relief. This seems valueless to the world, but it is the very gift that this tired world needs. In the face of intractable problems, intractable problems, such as the excruciation now that we see and we have in the Middle East, such as the intractable divide between people in this country. He is the one to bring heart relief for the great weight of our sins, intellectual relief for the great confusion of philosophies, social relief before the great injustices that we see. This is the one preoccupied with those he's ruling and their well-being. The ruler that would then go to lay down his life even for those he was ruling. So friends, if you would keep Christmas this year, if you would do well, if your gifts and your gift giving are going to have the meaning that they should have, you need to celebrate by first giving the gift of worship. That's why we're here this evening. That's what we're doing. But it's not just worship. It's the Christmas kind of worship, which is to recognize the valueless, the value of Jesus Christ as the God's gift to you, the ruler who shepherds. Now, for some of you, that might mean Christmas for you, might mean valuing something that you heretofore counted as insignificant. Maybe you have politely relegated God to to triviality in your life. For you, Christmas would be placing that value on the thing the world cannot recognize as valuable. Seeing the, the value in the seeming valueless. For others of you, it might mean insisting on the value of Christ over all other things in your life. Recognizing he is worth more than your home, more than your career, more than your relationships, more than your iPhone. He's worth more than your pursuits, more than your performances, more than the pe- the, all the presents that you don't like that you get. Most important gift you need to give this Christmas is your worship of him. And then your gift giving can have meaning. You know, when I start to think about these things, I begin to realize that actually of all the Christmas traditions, some of them have been lifted from paganism and here and there, but of all the Christmas traditions, probably gift giving is the most Christian of the Christmas traditions. Because it honors the one who is given to us as a gift. And what the Magi saw when they came. And I'll tell you, it helps me. It it should help us. It certainly helps me to be less Scrooge-like. To be less Grinch-like this Christmas. And because it actually changes you to see this value and the value. It changes us. You know, Henry Venn's son, John Venn, grew up to found the Church Mission Society in 1799, which was key because it was dedicated to the abolition of the slave trade, the social, social reform in England, 
and world evangelization. The Church Mission Society. You know, in all of these accounts of the abolition of slavery, very often Christians involved get written out of the story. They were key. The Christian Mission Society in England was key to it. And it went on, friends. You know, hundreds of years later, it's still going on. Christian Mission Society of London. Today, it supports over 700 people working in 50 countries to bring Christ and care to those in need. All this because John Venn never forgot what his father showed him. Because Henry Venn saw the value in the valueless. God will use our gift giving if we can first worship the greatest gift, the gift of himself. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.